No man is good enough to govern any woman without her consent. Organize, agitate, educate must be our war cry. I declare to you that women must not depend upon the protection of man, but must be taught to protect herself. And there I make my stand. There never will be complete equality until women themselves help to make laws and elect lawmakers. Susan B. Anthony, American women's rights activist. Uh, my guest on the show today needs no introduction. He's been on before. I consider him a brethren of mine. He's always there if I want to talk to him or if I want to bring him on the radio. It's uh, David Hines, lead singer, lyricist, composer, and he also added, maybe he's been doing this for a while, but I also add to his, um, his CV, portrait artist, David Hines. Good evening. How are you doing? Good evening. I mean, the, the taxman is also always there, so you better be careful that you don't mix the both of us up. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about the portrait artist business later on, but let us start off by talking about the COVID. How is it going with the COVID? How is it treating you personally? Personally, it's been touch and go as far as my intentions or non-intentions in regards to taking the vaccine. Um, I've been monitoring it daily. I've been monitoring it from other countries' perspectives as well. You know, in regards to places that I know I'm going to be touring over the next year, you know, places like Brazil, Costa Rica, you know, and, you know, so on and so forth. Obviously, the U.S. and other parts of the Caribbean. And um, I do see a pattern where once the people are taking the vaccines, the, the whole casualty rate, the, the cases have uh, subsided. But there's been so much things on the internet that's been giving it some kind of controversy that has me thinking, humming and eyeing all day long. So you're you're undecided about what you want to do, re, um, whether or not you want to take it. Well, I'm undecided, but logistics is telling me that you know, especially if I'm going to be hitting the United States, say in the next four months, four or five months, where you had policies where there are certain states that were not into wearing masks, mm -hmm. and you have certain states that, you know, um, don't even believe, you know, in, in the whole idea of the vaccine, so on and so forth, controversy as well. With me in a band touring in and out of these different states where the policies are different, it's like um, I'm open range right there as far as... Um, the liability of um, contracting something because of the different policies from state to state and how each state interprets the, the pandemic is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it would make business sense and it would also, um, for, for, for the safety of others that are going to be around, because a third of the band already have taken it in regards to you know the horn players, for example, and some of the road crew um, so far is what I'm saying. So... Like I said, it's up in the air for me, but it, it, it makes business sense if it's going to be a case where I'm going to be in different states, different with different agendas, if this is what I'm saying. They've got different agendas and different beliefs in the whole scheme of things. 
So the, the, the band members, all the other band members in the main are okay. They are fine. They are healthy. They are raring to go. That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the drummer was the first one to announce it. <laughs> mm -hmm. he, he's in Jamaica and he's the first one to announce that he took it. And he took it, saying it with pride. You know, almost like the way Bernie Spear was proud of it. <laughs> He's taking his vaccine when he, when he made his announcement. You know, he, he, I think it's based on him rearing to go back to work. He's that eager to do so, and it takes anything for him to start earning a living again. He, he's willing to, um, to to take that kind of stance. So, so far, I mean, it's been, no one's complained about any ailments or any side effects. And as you know, this thing comes with a lot of, um, you know, one or two side effects. You know, um, although the margins have been small in the whole scheme of things, you know, so, but most like, you know, the odds of someone meeting in a car accident and then me driving for 40 years has been remote mm -hmm. compared to, you, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the vaccine, the, the setbacks on the vaccine from what I've been reading and studying and hearing what people are saying is even, you know, less likely than someone meeting in a car accident over 40, over 40 year experience of driving. So, like I said, I'm up in the air. I'm still old school. I do remember back in the 60s when um, there was a case back in England called thalidomide. Yep. I don't know if you're familiar with that case. Yes, yes. Are you familiar with it? Yes. And, uh, well, the, yes. And um, yeah. I, I think um, uh, Billy Joel did a song about We Didn't Start the Fire and they talk about children of, uh, children of thalidomide. Yeah, go, go ahead and, and, and expound on it. Yeah, well, around 1962, there was a drug that was put on the market for women that were having fertility problems, and um, it, it guaranteed them fertility. Once they took the drug, several years went by where they had started to detect that this drug was actually creating a lot of deform deformities in children. So there was a whole generation of children that, where the parents took that drug and they came out um, with, you know, with short limbs or no limbs at all, things like that. So I was part of that experience when that was on the news on a regular basis. So you can imagine the subliminal message and the forefront message that was center page and center stage at the time in England still stirs in my mind so those are little things that have that created me to to be um in several different minds and modes about the whole idea of taking it but like i said it, 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 it's it's gonna make business sense um we got for example the you know, dates were supposed to be coming up in um new zealand but new zealand has a policy where no one's going to be doing anything until there's a what do you what do you call it uh, when someone's in high um when they're in quarantine, quarantine. quarantine. Yeah, yeah. So you're in quarantine. So when we go to New Zealand, for example, they got a show to do, a handful of shows. But guess what? You're going to be spending two weeks in a hotel or somewhere at your own expense. So how much, how beneficial would it be financially, economically, for someone to be spending so many weeks in, 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 you know, in one place on a quarantine when the policy is that no one's going anywhere until if they've been verified that they're clear of um, the, you know, the, 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 the virus, so to speak. So these are the kind of setbacks I'm going to find musicians who want to go out back to work and they're probably be up against, especially if they're touring internationally. 
musicians as well who reckons that they won't be touring anymore, but that remains to be seen. You know what I mean? So let's see what happens here. So what's the spirit of the, the, the band members? How are they feeling? Are they up full? Are they upbeat? Well, apart from the drummer, the others, how are they feeling about resuming tours and that kind of thing? I think everybody's upbeat. You know, um, we have a forum that we connect with each other. So there's times I don't have to physically pick the phone up and say, hey, Joe, how's everything? Because it's a forum that we actually connect with each other on. And, you know, that's how we know that who's taking it and how they're feeling, so mm -hmm. to speak. And everybody seems to be pretty upbeat. And none of them so far that have taken it as, you know, have any regrets or anything like that. So, like, everybody wants to get back to work, so to speak. So, as a, as a lead singer and the founding member, founder of the band yourself and uh, <laughs> other members of the band, how do you stay musically sharp after a year? That kind of thing. What do you do? Do you take up the, the guitar, play it? What, what do you do? There's a bit of that, but what's been happening since everybody, it's, it's all about reinvention. So during this period of time where we've been dormant, you know, inactive on the road per se, um, there's been a lot of little projects coming in for us to be collaborating with this act, doing projects for that act, you know, um, and also catching up with the business itself because you know um you know um I, I myself have been doing most of the management in regards to what's been going on over the past year and it's given me more time to tighten up on a lot of things that i wouldn't have had a chance at doing while i was running on the road so that's what's been going on obviously jamming on the guitar here and there but it's all about reinventing and finding other ways where monies can be made and also exposure can be made as far as a visual aspect and anything when it comes to like what we're doing now, interviews with you, whether it's magazine, audio, or a little snip that can be featured on TV. And, you know, uh, for example, um, as you know, you right recently passed. Next month, they're going to be putting out a compilation album of um, all the other acts like myself that was that's going to be featured on it, on songs um, Euroy did in the past. And I think it was about commemorating his 75th anniversary. And, um, you know, as an individual, as you know, he passed um, a couple of months ago. So there have been interviews lined up about, you know, to be featured in a documentary, you know, with you, Roy. So, like I said, it's all different projects that have been coming and we've been jumping on them each time we can. And it's been fun. It's been It's been different. You know, uh, managed to spend more time chilling out, rest when we can. But there's still there's still a lot of work when you start to line the projects up and compare them, and and knowing that there's people who are systematically wanting them by a particular time. So the work hasn't really eased up. Only physically, we're not running around dragging suitcases all over the world. That's the difference. You're in touch with uh, What's Your Point here on WPKN Radio. Uh, on my guest today is uh, David Hines, lead singer, lyricist, composer, and many other accolades. The lead singer here of a Steel Pulse reggae band. And uh, how's the album doing, your latest works, Mass Manipulation? How's it doing in the market today? It's steadily um, doing what it needs to do. Obviously, if we were on the road, we'd be moving a lot more units. But um, it's steadily um, shifting. 
and it's still in the limelight. I still get phone calls. I still get people still giving the album a lot of pickups. And, you know, especially as the more the pandemic went on and on, the people are starting to see that the, the songs have become so relevant um, in, in regards to what we've talked in, you know, about racism, as far as, you know, the, the system being manipulative. You know, cause a lot of people also see this pandemic as, as a way of the system getting back at the people and control. So everybody's reaching out for mass manipulation through the, a lot of the lyrical contents um, that, that engage, engage that kind of sentiment. So yes, the album's been shifting, but obviously COVID has not helped with us um, not touring on it. Uh, so I should have also said the, the, the album is a 2020 Grammy nominated. It didn't win, but it was nominated for the Grammy. Yeah, So uh, it was. <laughs> yeah, so uh, recently during our, our private conversation with you, you mentioned uh, something about August, going back on the road in August. You want to elaborate on that? scheduled to do something last year on the road um, touring with Revolution where we hit all these you know um, these you know um, five seater venues one or two ten thousand seater venues which is a bigger audience that um, we're normally uh, accustomed to um, on the normal runs that we do I mean we do hit those kind of um, kind of uh, those kind of capacities but this particular one, it will be guaranteed. So we will be jumping on that. And um, the, the case is, how do we keep safe in the meantime? Obviously, you know, the backstage comradeship with, you know, fans and all that, that's going to be ruled out. You know, I'm not going to be entertaining that where lots of people come back and engage and participate and get to know the band members and all that kind of stuff because of the situation, you know, that can't be a healthy thing to do. So, uh, yeah, obviously, we're gonna have to obviously um, take certain measures while traveling as well, and we gotta be thinking where in the event that if anybody was to get anything, unfortunately, how to deal with the situation. So, any names of places you spoke about a ten thousand capacity stadium? Where is that stadium located? This place is going to be hitting all over the U.S. Okay. I, I do know um, Red Rocks, you know, Reggae on the Rocks is going to be one of them. Um, most of the festivals throughout California and stadiums and all that. It's going to be pretty, it's going to be um, quite across the United States. Okay. Because there's, there's a, that's another thing. You know, we've got a certain following and touring with Revolution would expose us to, you know, a wider audience, and especially in places that we're not really that popular, or, you know, um, we, we are popular, but we don't have that bigger following, so to speak. So those are the advantages. But it's basically all over the U.S. Okay. Because it's, it's, it's going to be about 42, 42 cities. Oh, sounds great! And and um, so yeah. it's still tentative, or it's or it's uh, a sure thing for um for August. It's I say seventy percent, seventy five percent. You know, it's just getting our visas sorted out and getting there. 
and then it's rock and roll and then and reggae if you like indeed and <laughs> and, and the, the the audience all mask up yes yes um i think that's going to be the case if they're out there i'm not sure how it is i know there have been some testing grounds across the place like europe spain had some kind of event recently where they had five thousand people everybody wearing their mask tested beforehand and after the event there were six cases that were um, that were recognized and then there was a uk at another five thousand seater from my understanding uh, last week and i don't think there's any reported cases of covid anybody contracting covid since that event so maybe that's the way to go but we're talking about countries where more than half the population now has been vaccinated mm -hmm. so it's what i'm saying so those kind of risk and chances are more you know forthcoming so you mentioned earlier brazil touring brazil and costa rica but we know brazil is a serious situation where cases are concerned and <laughs> And uh, the president been under fire for his lack of preparation, lack of um, dealing with the, the this COVID nineteen. Many people have been killed, or should I say, have died as a result of taking uh, as a result of COVID. So, uh, do you think it'd be a high risk going to such a, a nation at this time? Places like that, see. What I've been doing over the past year also has been touching base with promoters in different regions. And Brazil and Costa Rica have been a few of the, the, the ones that I've been touching base with. And there's always been a case where they keep rescheduling these dates. So, for example, Costa Rica had something that they wanted to happen in February. And then they decided to move it when they've learned of the new cases that they've got that has escalated to something like 1800 cases a day if it's what i'm saying so they push it up to to april now so and it's all brazil the same thing where there was dates that were supposed to be scheduled for november and they can't even think of any time of rescheduling it now because of the amount of losses that have taken place because it was up to four thousand people dying each each day in Brazil mm -hmm. um, up to a couple of months ago. But since they rolled out the vaccine, the, you know, that's dropped considerably. <laughs> so um, the, 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 the common thread, which I which I want to bring to your attention, because it's this, this controversy about masks being a waste of time, because I've got one or two brethren of mine that are out there saying masks are a waste of time. And uh, I've been monitoring things and what I thought and saw as a common thread is that all these countries where the cases have been extremely high, it was a case where the people refused to wear masks or refused to practice social distancing. And, you know, for example, you got Sweden. Sweden um, has been one of those countries that was not an advocate in wearing masks. And in the Scandinavian region, they're the largest, they have the largest COVID case. Mm -hmm. So with Brazil, Costa Rica, where my agents and my promoters are telling me that the common thread that no one's been wearing their mask and don't and want to just go out there on the beaches 
and continue socializing as if tomorrow's another day, the common thread has been people deciding not to wear their masks, if you see what I'm saying. So I want to put that to the, the public's attention because only because I've got people that are close to me that are telling me that they don't think masks are solving anything. When I see cases, especially coming back from other people in the places that I intend to work in, are telling me that the common thread as because people decided not to wear their masks. Yes, and Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, is like the former guy here who don't think mass is important. So that's why the, the, the death rate is so high there as well. And I think you're correct in well, what you're saying. Well, let, let's forget about COVID for a second. Let's use our discretion. The, the, the flu has been a pandemic, as you know, that started out in the beginning of the 19th century. So we, we've exposed to 100 years of the flu. As, as you know, the 100 years ago, people were dying in droves, just like what COVID's doing today. Right? Mm -hmm. But with the flu now, there's been less cases of the flu now than before. And the common thread is because people have been doing their due diligence, social distancing, washing their hands, and also wearing a mask. So that shows you one of the reasons why flu has reduced itself as far as, you know, um, going out there hitting people year in, year out, like what it normally does. I mean, it's still there. We can't deny that. Just like with COVID, I believe it's still always going to be there. But I think, you know, obviously it can't solve everything. It's almost like a, con like a condom can't stop everybody from getting pregnant, but it mm -hmm. does help. Is what I'm saying. Indeed. So that, that's what that's what the whole mask idea is for me. You know, it's not gonna, it's not a hundred percent, but it's gonna create some kind of um, benefits. Yeah, and I think you're one hundred percent right because I was speaking with some people the other day about the same thing about the 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 the, the flu bef uh, like about four or five months ago. And I say, you know what? With people wearing masks, the flu season will not be that bad, and we're not hearing droves of people die as a result of the flu because that's what happened annually but the fact that people are wearing masks to prevent covid they're doing a double whammy where they're not getting the flu and they're not getting the covid so i think people have been saying you know after this covid is gone we should when the flu season come around we should we should wear the mask to avoid the the, the spreading of this flu virus what do you think Mm -hmm. But but I'm telling you how 
remote it is when someone's knowledge of someone dying of the flu. So the flu is not as dangerous in comparison to the virus that's out there, although there's been a lot more casualties over the, over the century. Mm-hmm. But when you can't name a single soul, you know, it, it's, it, you know um, it leads you thinking. According to the United States statistics, uh, many people have died from the flu annually, but it's not anywhere compared to what COVID has been doing for the last year and uh, some months. Exactly. But like I said, you got contingents, you got factions of people that have this tendency to say it's no big thing because you know so many people died of the flu also and this is what i'm trying to say this there's a big difference to me you know what i mean and you have people that's comparing it to oh it's like pneumonia and all that kind of stuff where you know the pneumonia the pattern of pneumonia isn't like what covid does as far as i'm concerned but like i said there's a lot of diehards out there that are sucking their ways in how they interpret things you're in touch with uh, WPKN Radio. The show is What's Your Point? Uh, speaking with uh, David Hines, uh, lead singer, songwriter, lyricist uh, of Steel Pulse Reggae Band, a band that's been going on for many years, over a generation. And um, I'm Garnet Anchor. Yes, uh, David, um, I-, I know you're, what should I say, you're uh, someone who don't like to beat your own drum. But you sent me a, a picture today of one of your works, your paintings, and I saw like a man with a, a pair of handcuffs on the table, and it seems as if you want to tell me what that picture was saying. Um, a man, like two police officers, were behind him. Right. Well, that that's actually a painting I'm working on mm-hmm. of Martin Luther King. Okay. And Martin Luther King was um, arrested. Well, history has it that he was arrested as much as 29 times for his cause. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what he's preaching around the world. And um, it was just my way of going through all my heroes of yesteryear and depicting the roles they played. And that was one of the, the latest imagery that I'm working on at the moment. Obviously, it's not finished. Indeed. So, and, um, go on. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Sorry about that. Well, it's, it's just, it, it also coincides with what's been going on in, in, in the U.S., as you as you know, in regards to, you know, black youths losing their lives uh, over the past um decade because it's been a decade almost if you, com- if you compare it with Obama's eight years and four years of the most re- um, the previous administration it's been at least 10 years that we've been witnessing you know um, these shootings that have been going on across the US so you, you know I, I think putting the image of someone who's been an advocate for the prevention of that um, I, I kind of feel like it's a symbolic painting, is what I'm saying. Yeah. That I, I do intend. I hope I could complete it in the, you know within another month or so. Yeah. So but, uh, yeah, that's been part of the projects I've been doing in my spare time um, during so, during COVID. I, I know you went to university and you did fine arts 
uh, before you stop to pursue music. So um, is that your fine arts university influence coming out there, the, the painting? Yes, I would say so. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I didn't complete getting my master's or bachelor's of arts and all that kind of degree. But um, so I'm, I'm actually carrying on from where I left off, is what I'm saying. And um, <laughs> I, every now and again, I will read about the masters of yesteryear, you know, they actually out of the castles, your Salvador Dali's, your tombs with tricks, you know, your Woodward Manners and Vincent Bangolos. So every now and again, I sort of dabble into their background and see what they've been about because these are the kind of um, artists that influenced me over the years. So how long have you been painting? Recently, <laughs> uh? I'd say it's coming out. Of, uh, if you say recently, I'd say five, five years, five, six years recently. Uh, previous to that, I didn't touch a brush. I, I didn't. Uh, previous to six years, I never touched a brush for twenty years. Okay, they, they look really good. Yeah, I must yeah. tell you. So, okay, what do you plan to do? Do you plan to open a gallery and have them for sale? What if are you? in a situation where you want people to view them, what is, are you just doing them and just keep keeping them for the time being? I mean, because I, I'm talking here now okay. and people are listening and say, oh my goodness, where can I see those? Where uh, Can I buy one? All that kind of thing. I do plan on doing an exhibition once I get enough in the collection. You know, um, I've got about eight pictures of a particular size right now. Like the one I sent you, um, the actual original itself is... Um, 36 inches by 36 inches so they're not small paintings Indeed. because I, you know I, I like I like looking at epic type images when I go to museums and art galleries so uh -huh. I started to do something a reasonable size that is still contained in the, you know in, in my apartment but still you know uh, because it's a tiny area that I'm working at the same time but at the same time I want it big enough that it, it still can make an impression once it hits you know, a gallery, but um, I'm hoping to do a different spin on things as well, you know, because it's just like extending my character in what I do in the music industry. You know, I, I'm politically driven and I find that, you know, the subjects that I've chosen to paint are also um, part of that political motivation. So like, you know, there's been Malcolm X, I've done paintings, I've been Muhammad Ali, um, no, um, one of my most recent paintings as well has been um, Chadwick Bosman, who, you know, recently passed away. Uh -huh. And uh, Chadwick, although he's an actor, he's also played a lot of heroes that I, I admire. You know, um, Thorgood Marshall, mm -hmm. James Brown, you name Chadwick Bosman has brought a lot of these iconic figures, you know, from the, from the black diaspora's perspective, he brought them to light. So... That's one of the reasons why I selected him to, um, to as, 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 a, as a portrait also. So, but that's uh, what I want to do. I want to extend my 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 mindset in regards to how I think politically within my music, make it more three dimensional, and there you go as a painting or a sculpture if I have to. So you've never you know you never thought before of um opening. A gallery, that kind of thing. To to um, you just want to have a certain number before you you do that. 
a certain number of paintings? Repeat that. So you, you, you're thinking now of when you get up to a certain number of paintings, then you will put them on display. So at this point in time, people yeah. won't be able to see them. Yes, it's either that or I sort of have, you know, like a joint effort with another artist. Because um, having more than, having about 15, at least 15 paintings, at least 15, gives the onlooker, the viewer, a good sense and a good perspective of what your style is about and what you're about and what you're trying to achieve within the paintings in itself as opposed to one painting and then another one, you know, uh, across the room and that's it, is what I'm saying. You don't get to know an artist until you start seeing a whole shebang and what he does and you start seeing why the brush strokes are, are meaningful. You start seeing why the subjects are meaningful because you start to see a pattern in what he's trying to convey. Okay, I see. So... I can't remember, but that could have been what I probably showed you was probably Jimi Hendrix, if it's a musician. Okay. But that's, but that's been my problem. I sort of go on a rotation spree where I start a painting and then I stop and start something else. And then I go back and look at the painting that I stop at and finding that I'm not happy with certain aspects of it. Then I start delving into it again. So I have that. So. Since I sent you that Hendrix one, I have not touched it. Okay. But now you've mentioned it. Once I go further with this one, I'll revisit that one and say, all right, this is what's wrong with it. This is what I want to do with it. And then move on from there. So I sort of bring everything up to speed systematically. So if you should be given that choice between painting and music, which would you choose? You just have one. Which would you choose? <laughs> that's, that's very difficult. <laughs> that's very difficult. That's why, I'll tell you why it's difficult for me. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, the one that's making me immediate, you know, where finance is generated and, and I've established myself, obviously, would have to be music because mm -hmm. I've already established myself. So it would, have, it would have to be that choice for more reasons than one. However, the artistic side of me has never left me when it comes to the album sleeves that the, the band has been putting out over the years. You see what I'm saying? So I've always had some kind of hands in in what I expect to be, to be depicted as an image. You know, there's only a couple of sleeves I never had any say in the depiction of it. But most of the time, you know, even when it's a photograph, there's a particular way I'd like that image to be presented. So there's the art side of me. So they've always been hand in hand, if you see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But like I said, if you, if you want to say, all right then, all right, resigns. We're going to leave with one. You're going to have one as a career right now, which one obviously is going to have to be music because it's it's already working for me and it's already made an indentation. It's already been a recognized legacy. Okay, you're in touch with uh, WPKN Radio. The show is What's Your Point? Speaking with uh, David Hines, lead singer, songwriter, lyricist of the reggae band Steel Pulse. And uh, I am Garnet Anchor. Okay, um, let's talk a little bit more about music and that kind of thing. Um, I've never asked you this before in terms of why political social commentary. You know, it wouldn't it be easier to just sing, sing love songs. 
it's always easier to sing a love song, but that market is so flooded, one. Number two, I've never seen myself in that domain wholeheartedly. You see what I'm saying? There's obviously there's been a few love songs written, but I, I think um, what I see politically has overwhelmed me with me expressing myself in that particular direction. And, you know, um, that recognition <coughs> for me to recognize <coughs> something wrong with the world, I've been recognizing that, as the Jamaicans would say, since my eyes have been at my knees. You know, since I've been at the early ages, early as six, seven years, eight, six, seven years of age. So I've been seeing things that have been unfolding itself in regards to racism, social and political injustice um, at that age. Not understanding the reasons, but recognizing there's a reason. And as I get older, I start to put the pieces together and realize that, you know, I can make a difference in, in such an equation is what I'm saying. So, you know, love songs, they're all good. But I like to, um, I'm more, I see the political side more of the real me and the real world that I see. This is what I'm saying. You know, especially we can see evidently right now that there's more to life than just falling in love. <laughs> Indeed. Or as the rest of would say, stand in love. <laughs> Yeah. That's in love. It's, 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 you're already in danger already. That's what I'm saying. Indeed. <laughs> but yeah. So, okay, what, what do you think would, um, I wouldn't say solve, but what we could we do to stem the, 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 the killings and the murders of black people here by police officers? We see George Floyd, the, the, the police officer, the former police officer, was was found guilty in all three counts. If You can elaborate on that if you want. But in addition to that, um, we see we continue to see black people being killed, being murdered, unarmed people being killed by police officers, and um, we see white people, white young men being taken in alive. I'm not saying they should be killed, but there's like two laws, you know, for blacks, one for blacks, one for whites. Your your views? Well, boy, that's a there's so many different angles with this situation. Um, you want to, if you my my opinion with the George Floyd murder and you know the policeman charge and uh, appears to be getting convicted now, um, I can only put that down to two things: the internet and COVID, where 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 justice prevailed. Um, I say the internet because it was there for the world to see. Although it was there for the world to see when Rodney King got the daylight beaten out of him um, 30 years ago. But the COVID situation is where everybody was forced to stay home, had nothing better to do, and watched intensely what unfolded for nine minutes, 29 seconds. So I, I thought um, if it was not for COVID and not for the internet, where the imagery could be circulated and the world looked on. I, I don't think there would have been a, I think there would have been another walk in the park when a police officer. And, uh, so that's my opinion on that. Sorry, America, if you're going to feel offended, but, you know, I, I think that's truth and right. And if you really look into it, especially when you go back 30 years, it's been 30 years since the Rodney King incident, when we saw the 
daylight speaking out of him. And um, as you can see, the four officers walked. Um, shows you that it had to be the internet and COVID that made a contribution to justice being served. Um, in regards to, from the black man's perspective now, um, I'm not talking to go out there and burn the place down. You see what I'm saying? But what, what I am, what I am saying is that I do think the schools, especially if they're schools where they're more black oriented, where there's 95% of the population, you know, uh, uh, you know, black neighborhood going to black schools and all that. I think the children should be taught at a very early age and it should be part of the curriculum where they know how to address a police officer and also how to, to know their rights as far as their rights as a, as a you know civilian and, a, and, and as someone who who, who is a, either a pedestrian or someone who actually is someone who's a car owner in a vehicle and driving their car, whatever it is, that they should know how to present themselves and what to say, know their rights, basically. I think that should be taught in the schools where one is taught how to address and know their rights when, when it comes to the, the, the system of things. You know, um, where someone goes around as a teacher saying, all right, when the, the police officer, you know, you got to keep your hands there, blah, blah, you're going to have that. Yeah. And so it's protocol. So it, and it, it's part of the curriculum. So you got your maths, you got your English, you got your history lesson. Let that be part of the curriculum as well, where a child knows the drill and they, they know how to, to conduct themselves and there'll be no half-stepping or no miss because they already know what to do. So nobody can say, well, I thought he's going to, oh gosh, I didn't know that. You know, all these excuses about tasers and all this kind of stuff. I thought it was a taser and all that. All that's going to slowly go through the window when someone knows how to conduct themselves and it's proven that they, they know how to do to, to, Due diligence is what I'm saying. As far as the other side of things now, obviously it's a racial environment that has been that has intensified itself over the past 12 years. You know, um, as far as I'm concerned, ever since Obama took office, you know, we started to see things. What it has always been, uh, with no disrespect to America, but it is what it is, and we can't, you know, we can't be. It's been swept under the carpet too long now and everything the story has come to bump right now as far as what's happening so it needs different pockets of people coming together as one regardless of your color if it's about being an american citizen everybody have to treat justice liberty and equality on a fair basis is what I'm saying. Indeed. And for America to move forward, that has got to be the rule of thumb for everyone, regardless of color. And uh, as this, you, so you, these are the things I, 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 I huh? go ahead. These are the things I think um, is is the, the should be the conventional pro approach the whole thing, but it's protocol. And I, I recall, uh, we should re remind the listening audience that uh, you did a song on the Rodney King thing on the album called Vex. Yeah, 
Yeah, that was um, yeah, that was written. That was written a year. Uh, yeah, that was written about 1993 because the um, as you know there was there was a, there was a lot of things that was happening at the same time. Mike, Mike well Tyson. Mike Tyson got six wrong years. Period of time as well. Mike, uh, Mike Tyson got six wrong years for a crime that wasn't proven yes, and was talking the lyrics. Right, Mike Tyson served three years out of his six years for an alleged rape when you had some other um, people in the high echelons of society in the United States where similar things were committed and there were no charges. So, um, yes, no justice, no peace was written based on, on that. But, yes, it was to do with um, the, the Rodney King, the... Um, Beatings that took place um, in 1991. And I, I think for the country to break this situation, you know, white people should come out and, and, and some of them are doing, admit that this country is run by white supremacists. We need to go and talk about that first and be able to do something like done in South Africa, the truth and reconciliation situation. This country is 250 going 250 years and um you know black people are taken here from africa against their will and uh with our with their knees on our necks and it's still happening 250 years later so you know you know so so for white people to in more ways than one get get up and say yes this is going on and um, racism is is rampant throughout the entire country and we need to put a change and a stop to it to make things better. And uh, you spoke about um, the police situation. I think police should learn that there should be a reculturing or a rethinking or a re-examining of how police police officers, there are very good police officers out there, no doubt, but like in every area of endeavor, you find bad apples. And I think police should be trained in general to de-escalate situations. We have a situation where police are behaving, police officers are behaving as if they're, they're judge, jury, and executioner, you know, and, and we can't have that in a civilized society, if we're going to call this country a civilized society. I, I was just watching on the news uh, the other morning, a white woman was badly beaten. I, I wasn't able to watch the entire thing. I'm not sure if she was killed, but it's a grandmother, a white grandmother that, that pushed her down to the ground as if they're pushing down some animal and uncuffed her and I think they may have broken her arm as well. And, you know, what are you going to do that to her grandmother? And it doesn't matter her race. She's a human being first. You know, those are the things that we as people should be crying uh, out that against. Happened, that, that happened recently in the States? Uh, I'm not sure if it's recently, but it was recently broadcast on TV. Because yeah. sometimes these things happen like months ago or years ago, but I'm not sure how long ago. Because I was in and out. I wasn't listening quite well. But it was a white grandmother whom... Uh, was subject to those things, and it's wrong. Whether it's white, black, nobody should be treating people like that. It's it's a bit of a tough one. Mm. Um, you got the police force, and you know it's like damn if you do, damn if you don't. Mm. You're a police officer, but there's a, there's also a side of things where it's evident that that you know they 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 know when to use their discretion. Is what I'm saying, mm -hmm. and it's it's I call it selective discretion. Yeah, where um, you know it's a shoot to kill that tends to happen, which is I mean, we're not used to police officers um 24/7 in the UK 
as mm. uh, now is in the US. So the, the likelihood of that happening is remote. I'm not saying police officers don't carry guns in the UK. They do, but for for um, specific purposes. For example, if there's someone that they know that has robbed a bank and they're armed robbers, then the police that will be pursuing them will be an armed policeman also because that's what it's about, is what I'm saying. So mm -hmm. there's different methods that a police officer in the UK would use in pursuing you know, anybody who they recognize breaking the law. But when I question people about the, the US policies, they say the police officers are, are, are being trained to shoot, to kill. Indeed. And I'm saying to myself, um, sometimes the, you know, um, the cases are where you know, the person doesn't need to be killed. They get shot in the leg or you know whatever. No shot at all. Accurate. Huh? No, they shouldn't be shot at all. You go, there's someone with a yeah, with a mental yeah, I'm, disturbance. I'm about, but but let, let's let, but let's be let's be fair here. Mm -hmm. There's times when a policeman's life will be threatened. Indeed. You know, let, let's be fair here. It's you know, it's and, and or or someone else's life is going to be threatened, and the policeman will see the need to either defend himself or defend someone else. Now. You know, um, then, then it could be argued is, you know, can I shoot that person in a particular place where once he's maimed or injured, I can take him in and let him serve. It's what I'm saying, as supposed to, mm -hmm. you know, someone stealing an orange and he gets shot dead because he stole an orange. I mean, God Almighty, he stole an orange from a supermarket, so you're going to shoot him dead for that? Yes. Well, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, um, that's the difference. So I think because there's so many cases that um, come with that kind of similar sentiment behind it where the reason is, is so futile, you know, I think there should be a reprogramming of the officers Indeed. on how they're trained in, you know, on a particular circumstances. Yes. We, we know what it is. Everybody wants to save their own lives as well. So I, I do understand that. But I think there should be more vigilance in um, vigilant in in how they go about the training. Yes, and I should also tell you that this woman was a dementia patient. So she went into the store and stole something, just walked out with it, because, you know, she may not even realize what she's doing, walked out with it, and they accosted her, took it, she gave it back, and then she walked out. She's walking down the road, and then the police accosted her. After she returned the thing, they still called the police on her. After she brought it back, you know, and then, you know, she's there all confused and, you know, so you don't want that to happen to anybody. It doesn't matter. Race is secondary. You know, people should, people are people. You don't want to just kill people because, you know, so the, and, and, and in a situation like that, but in a situation where police officers are seeing unarmed black men and unarmed anyone, that person should not end up dead under any circumstances. You know, so, so many things. So so there needs to be retraining of police officers. And you're correct. I've heard that over and over that police officers in, in the United States are sh they're there to shoot to kill. So they're not defending the people as if they're fighting a war. So they, they need... See, another thing... Uh, sorry to cut you there, yeah. Another thing that could be taken into consideration as well is that there's usually a pattern with police officers that are shooting the black youths, where there are probably incidents or cases where they've showed 
the, their, their side of themselves in, in regards to race. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, the, the person's a black person and they've already got this thing like records of them being offensive towards black people. I think all these things need to be taken into consideration as well. If there's a pattern for someone to be gone into towards someone because of their race, then, you know, um, having them join forces should be questionable as well, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Because, but it's, it's going to be a hard thing to sift out. Yes. It's almost like someone doing, like, it's almost like someone standing to, 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 be a, to be a member of a jury, is what I'm saying, yes. where they, they're going to defend something or someone and they don't particularly like that particular person or what that person is about. So it's half guilty as it is, yes. is what I'm saying. Yes. So this is where, it, it, it's, it's going to be a hard one. And, you, you know, I mean, the, the unfortunate thing about it, I've got, you know, um, I've got uh, friends who are Europeans, white friends that, that are in the U.S. as well. And, you know, some of them have pointed out to me that amongst their own people, that a lot of people, still a few of them have thought it justifiable in, in, in you know, for the way George Floyd died. Is what I'm saying. Yes. They didn't see the officer um, should be charged for, for the incident because of A, B, C, and D. He was a thug anyway. He did this anyway. And I, I hear that so many times with um, with other people, you know, whether it's Trayvon Martin or Michael Brown or Eric Garner, he should be selling cigarettes so he deserves what he gets. Yeah. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, these are the kind of mindset that's that needs to to change America move forward when it comes to being a, a unified country. Yes. As you can see right now, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of tension. Indeed. Race. Be- because if someone if someone is a thug, it doesn't mean that police can come the police have the right to come and murder them, murder that person. Because the police is not there to be judge, jury, and executioner. So whether the person is a thug or not, to die like that, and, and the race doesn't really matter to me. No one should be killed the way George Floyd was. And it's just, you just if somebody tell me that, okay, th- that person has no conscience. You know? So, and, and you know, I'll be the first one to say I agree and I know the hard work of the police officer out there. But at the same time, there are situations where guns are not involved. They can de-escalate the situation. If they're in a situation where their life is at stake, then you, you want to shoot to kill and, or you want to protect someone else. I understand that. But when nobody's lives are at stake, you just try to de-escalate the problem and, 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 and everybody go home happy, you know? That's, you know, there needs to be a serious, serious retraining of police officers. And not only here, but all over the world. Because police officers tend to, if you don't listen to what they're saying, say, do this, and you don't do it, and then curse and tell And if you don't do it, they want to body up and that kind of thing. And they sh- that shouldn't be the, the work of the police officer. You know, unless they're at war. Anyway. So. We... we um I, I try and look at the thing objectively, mm. like yourself, and I, I do know there's, there's a few people that are out there that are unscrupulous, and and um, if you lead them to have their way, they'll create havoc within communities, and this is one of the reasons why police officers are there, to stop that kind of thing setting root, or get planted and, and, and you know, the seeds sown and become something else, is what I'm saying. So I, I totally identify with that. But like I said, there, there needs to be 
uh, I'm okay with assessment now how to to iron out the situation. Indeed. Indeed. So, yes, uh, the time, oh my goodness, the time just flew by. And, and any parting shots before we say so long? Well, I'm saying happy victory day for the second time, the Ethiopians. And, uh, the other one was March the first earlier this year. This one here, today is the 80th anniversary uh, when Haile Selassie entered into Ethiopia um, after conquering Italians. Um, it's been 80 years, and you know my praises and admiration goes out to the Ethiopians who still have us in the diaspora, standing proud and still feeling that there is um, hope for us to have total empowerment within ourselves. Um, for the mere fact that that country remain the only country in Africa not to be colonized. Indeed. So it's a significant day today where we're celebrating the emperor returning back to Ethiopia as a sovereignty, as a monarchy, telling us, the people of the diaspora, that at least there was one country that was not colonized by Europe. Yes, so he fought off. So he fought off Mussolini and his criminal friends. Yes, Rosario, all those guys, the, the, the generals and all that, Grazino, whatever his name was, all those guys. One by one, he did it with his, with his. Um, he had soldiers in place. Obviously, he did a pilgrimage himself, going around and get, And it, Britain finally jumped on board. If you know the history of the the actual Ethiopian Italian invasion. Mm -hmm. You know, on Ethiopia, you know that Britain came in at the last minute and started to help the Ethiopian soldiers, and then obviously that also became the, uh, the turning point for World War Two, mm -hmm. and you know, Germany and its allies being defeated. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's a significant day today. Indeed. Stop your coming and come. Right? Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yes, the 5th of it's May. Been, it's been four years. Say that again? Yes, four years now since I, four years now since I, four years since I, my first visit to Ethiopia, first and only visit. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, right. All right then, all right. So take care and uh, thank you so much for doing this and um, talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Respect and um, to my family out there. So it's it's what can I say? This year is the first year. This today is the first. Tomorrow will be the first um, year since my brother passed away from COVID. So um, we are in interesting times right now. So May, June, July, there will be interesting moments throughout history as I keep my blogs up in that regard. So respect to the US. And see you soon. Jobless. Okay, great. You have been listening to a conversation between David Hines of Steel Pulse and Garnet Ankle. This has been What's Your Point?